Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined, as always, by my partner in crime, Weston Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. Wes, it will be a Sunday night football kickoff in prime time at Lambeau Field. It's going to be cold. They're talking single-digit temperatures at kickoff. But rewind a little over a month, and we were talking about a Vikings team that plays a lot of close games. They win some. They lose some. They're right around 500. Well, here we are with two weeks to go in the regular season, and the Vikings haven't changed. They still play a lot of close games, and whether they lose on the last play of the game to the Detroit Lions or whether they nearly blow a 29 to nothing lead to the Pittsburgh Steelers but barely hang on right. for the victory... It seems like this is still the same Minnesota Vikings team. This has been their M.O. all season long. Yeah, and unfortunately for the Vikings, the past few seasons have kind of followed this similar trend. Uh, And let's be honest, Mike, it's not an anomaly when it happens that often. They're inconsistent. They're extremely talented. They have the best young receiver in the game. Kirk Cousins can look like an all-pro at times. And certainly, as we've talked about time and time again, Mike, Delvin Cook is a real threat in the run game. Yeah. But defensively, there's been some erosion there the past few seasons. And when they need to come up with clutch performances or beat teams that they should beat to be a playoff contender, they just haven't been able to do it. All that being said, this is not a team you can take for granted at 7-8 and eight coming in here at Lambeau Field. They're very dangerous. They're very dynamic on both sides of the ball. And as they, the Green Bay Packers saw at U.S. Bank Stadium, if you don't capitalize on your opportunities against Cousins and company, you are going to find a way to lose that football game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these two teams played a shootout at U.S. Bank Stadium uh, back in November. I don't know in single-digit temperatures if we're going to see the same type of uh, offensive fireworks come Sunday night. But for the Minnesota Vikings, and this is what I've been saying in, in following them most of the season, They're an extremely dangerous offense when they've had their big three as far as their offensive weapons healthy and able to play. And I'm talking about Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, and Adam Thielen. Now, they just put Adam Thielen on injured reserve with an ankle injury. Apparently, he had to undergo surgery after re-aggravating an ankle injury in the Vikings' previous game. So they don't have the big three. They have Jefferson. They have Cook. It just seems to me that offensively they haven't been the same when one of those three guys has been missing. Yeah, as you said, I mean, Jefferson is really becoming a dynamic force in this league, and unfortunately for the Packers, they're going to have to deal with them for some time in the (laughs) NFC North, much like the Packers of the late 90s and 2000s had to deal with Randy Moss in the NFC Central. It's just a reality of it. But as you said, the problem beyond Jefferson has been getting – Thielen and Cook both healthy and available. You saw it last week with with Thielen, how frustrated he was, how frustrating this year has been for him because when he has been healthy, he has been really good in this offense, and the Packers saw some of that. But to lose him now with this ankle injury, which, you know, in the long run will help him, you know, get him back, have – is there bigger aspirations out there for the Vikings in 2022? I would think so. But to not have him on Sunday is going to be really interesting because he is, as as big play – uh, born is Jefferson in terms of his ability to generate, you know, game explosive type moments. Thielen is the guy that moves the chains for them. And I think could be a real force in this game at Lambeau field and colder temperatures, the running game. We know what they can do. You've seen it with cook and you've seen it with Madsen too. When, when he's been available, 
you know, and he's had to be the guy, he's been able to play up to that. Now, his numbers aren't as extraordinary as Cooks are, but he's consistent. So I feel like those two elements are going to be really interesting to track here. As we'll talk about with the Packers, I mean, A.J. Jones, you know, AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones, the same problem that the Vikings and the issues that they've had defensively, they're going to have to contend with. But I, I still think Jefferson is going to be a guy that Green Bay is going to have to keep an eye on and, and could potentially be a game-breaker here. But if you can't contain Cook and he goes off in a similar yeah. fashion like you know, this past week, what, what happened with Nick Chubb, it's going to be a long evening at Lambeau Field. Yeah, absolutely. The Packers, the Packers know what this Viking offense looks like when Dalvin Cook gets rolling and, and this Packers defense is trying to figure out um, exactly what it needs to do to start clamping down on the run after what has happened the past couple of weeks, particularly with Chubb. On the defensive side of the ball for Minnesota, really hard to figure out in some respects because this is a unit that has 44 sacks on the yeah. season, which is tied for first, I believe, in the NFC with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They have five guys on their team, not all of them active. Some of them are injured and not Daniel playing. Daniel still their leading sacker. Yeah, they have, but they have, fi- they have five guys who have recorded five or more sacks this year. Yeah. That's not easy to do. And as much as you have the old mainstays in the middle of this defense in Eric Kendricks and Anthony Barr and Harrison Smith, there's just been so much up and down inconsistent play elsewhere, particularly in the coverage aspect of things at cornerback. They're playing with young cornerbacks. There was some sort of a blow up with Bashad Breland and the coaches in practice a couple weeks ago, and they just flat out released him. This is, it, it's, it doesn't look like, a Mike Zimmer defense, except for those occasions, and we saw last week against the Rams, except for those occasions when an Anthony Barr or an Eric Kendricks or a Harrison Smith is making a big play that can suddenly change a game. And that's how the Vikings stayed in it against the Rams last week. The interceptions they they got against Matthew Stafford with with their main guys. But uh, but if those guys aren't stepping up and making big plays, this just strikes me as a very ordinary defense. I, I've said it time and time again. I really respect Rick Spielman. I love what they've built there in Minnesota. I don't think him and Zimmer get nearly enough credit for how competitive this team has been for the better part of a decade now. But what happened in the secondary, and obviously more specifically the cornerback position, Harrison Smith still one of the best in the game. I'm a huge fan of Xavier Woods, and he's made some big plays for them this season. But I don't know what you think about this, but I kind of look at their cornerback scenario is sort of where the Packers were in 2013 with their safeties. Yeah, They made it a big, abrupt shift, but the plan hasn't really come together, so right. to speak. I, I, mean, I would agree. Now, some of that's out of their control. You know, Jeff Gladney, these issues they've had, you know, with some of these draft picks, they, they did what was best for their team moving forward. But the fact of the matter is you still didn't hit on those positions. And, and Xavier Rhodes is a different type of player at this time. Trey Wayne's different type of player. I understood their reasons for the direction they went. But if you're going to go that direction, what's the next plan? What's the next step? That's where they've been lacking. And as good as they are in the linebacker unit, as good as they are on the back end with their safeties, the issues of trying to figure out what their defensive front is going to look like and what the cornerbacks are going to look like, I think has been one of the undoings for Minnesota for these last two seasons. Yeah, well, as far as the Packers are concerned, the questions that are lingering out here for this game mostly hinge on where things are with the COVID list, right? Because the Packers have, over the last week, week plus, 
they put a bunch of guys on the reserve COVID-19 list, but the NFL has changed the protocols and the return to play rules in terms of um, the, uh, the length of time that, uh, that players need to be out after they test positive, all this. And I, I'm going to confess, Wes, the rules have changed like so much, it's hard for me to keep track of exactly how this is going to work. But one area I think that's, that's worth talking about here that, that uh, the Packers are entering this game, I think, with a lot of uncertainty is on special teams because you have both Amari Rodgers, who's been your primary return yep. man, and Corey Bohorquez, your punter and your holder for Mason Crosby. Both of those, those guys are on the COVID list. Now, it's possible that they could come back and be able to play on Sunday night. It's also possible that they won't. Um, and this is just at the time when the Packers special teams that have gone through obviously a lot of struggles throughout the course of the year seem to be finally maybe settling down a little bit. Um, but now you have uh, this uncertainty with your personnel to deal with. So many times in this business, we have to just kind of read the tea leaves, right? And at the time in which we're taping this, this could change in an hour. <laughs> but at the time in which we're taping this, the Packers have not made a move at punter. They do not have a backup punter right now at this point in time. The holding situation, well, the backup holder is Randall Cobb. He's not available either. Right. Does that mean that would be Jordan Love? Could that be J.J. Molson, the backup kicker? You just don't know. But the fact that Green Bay at this very moment on Thursday, which we're taping this, have not made a move at punter, would make you believe that there might be some hope there that Corey Bajorquez will be available for Sunday. Reportedly, he would fit inside that timeline to be allowed to play on Sunday. It still is a challenge. And the other thing that I think so, so many times gets lost is we automatically shift to, well, it's five days, it's 10 days. They'll be ready. They'll be good to go. Then you listen to what Kenny Clark had to say on Wednesday about how rough his bout with COVID was. Because the question was kind of asked to him, like, hey, could you have you know, potentially played with this new thing? And Kenny's answer wasn't whether or not he was going to play. It was, yeah, I had three days where I felt really bad and I had a bad cough and all these things. we got to think about the player. We have to think about the person, though, first. Yeah. And, and ultimately, that's where this is going to come down to. To have 15 guys with the COVID reserve list, people were kind of writing at me about – you know, Jair Alexander, it's very exciting that Jair Alexander was activated on Wednesday. And I didn't want to be Debbie Downer to everybody. But it's like, <laughs> listen, guys, that was the last day of his window. And the Packers presently have nine spots open on their 53-man roster. Jair Alexander was going to get activated. So we already saw Colvin Landon's been promoted for this week as a COVID replacement. We might see even more potential, you know, practice squad players have to be called upon too. It's the nature of the beast. As far as the returners, as weird as this sounds, I don't really have a ton of concern there because we've seen multiple times for multiple seasons Chandon Sullivan can step in, yep. whether it be kickoffs or punt returns. He's done both now for Green Bay in a pinch, not just what he did a couple weeks ago, but even going back two seasons. So they have Sullivan. Patrick Taylor could be called upon there too. So I think they're okay in that regard. The big thing is going to be a Bohorquez, though. As a holder, as a punter, as a Pro Bowl alternate, the, the guys brought a lot to Green Bay, and it would be it really hurt this football team not to have him. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to get to our keys to victory for this game, but first, Wes, a little bit of sponsor business. Sirius XM NFL Radio delivers hard-hitting analysis and up-to-the-minute NFL news that true football fanatics need 24-7. 365. And at Cousin Subs, we have something for everyone, like our Wisconsin cheese curds, mac and cheese, golden fries and creamy shakes, all paired with your favorite sub or sub in a bowl. Cousin Subs, we believe in better. Keys to victory here for the Packers to emerge from 
Sunday Night Football with another win. It's, it's stating the obvious, but based on what happened last week, we sat here and talked about how you can't let Nick Chubb dictate the tempo and, and, and control the game and give the Browns the opportunity to score as many points as they did. It's the same thing here, and I know Justin Jefferson is better than any wide receiver the Cleveland Browns put on the field on Christmas Day at Lambeau, but it still has to start with containing Dalvin Cook because if he is in command out there, that's going to make for a really, really tough day for Green Bay's defense. That's what inter- is what's interesting what you said, though, is about not allowing you know Nick Chubb to dictate the terms of the game. Nick Chubb didn't dictate the terms of the game now how much of that was on Cleveland and their game plan how much that was on Green Bay the reason why Green Bay got off to the start it did in that game was because of how that first half played out in the unwillingness for the Browns to commit to Chubb for whatever reason that's not going to be the case uh, on Sunday I agree the Minnesota Vikings are going to try to run this thing through Cook and at times Madison too so that that will be pivotal but to me Mike it's very simple you're talking about this and you're writing about this but this is going to be a really cold game. Barring some kind of crazy front that moves in, we're all <laughs> anticipating it's going to be one of the coldest in this series. The Packers play at Lambeau Field. They are undefeated in the month of December at Lambeau Field underneath Matt LaFleur. The Minnesota Vikings play in a dome. They won their game at U.S. Bank Stadium partially based upon the fact that they were at home. Green Bay needs to defend its turf. The Packers are one game up right now in the conference. They have two divisional games against the Minnesota Vikings and the Detroit Lions. If we were back in week one, maybe even after that loss to New Orleans, and we said this is the scenario that's going to play out for you this season, this is the optimal scenario for Green Bay. No question about it. You have to defend your place. And if it's zero degrees, if it's minus 10 degrees, if there's no even, you know, water in the stadium available you have to be able to be able to cultivate harness that ability and and come out victorious I think that's what it comes down to so yes a lot of it's the run but a lot of it's how they play defensively a lot of it is what kind of energy do you have left in the fourth quarter when you don't want to be out there anymore (laughs) yeah that's going to be uh, the real challenge for this matchup you have to imagine the Minnesota Vikings they're going to do everything they can to try to replicate these elements this week but you're not going to be able to do it. It's Sunday's going to be too much of a different animal. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm very curious to see because we, we've seen the Packers. Aaron Rodgers has played in plenty of these games. He's played in the cold. He's played in the cold without some of his best weapons on yeah. offense. And, and the Packers have functioned very well offensively. I'm curious to see what Kirk Cousins and this Vikings passing offense, assuming the Packers can do enough against Cook to make, to make the Vikings have to throw the ball in key situations, What's this Vikings passing offense going to look like in single-degree temperatures? Because I remember before the first meeting this season, we were talking about how going into that game, Kirk Cousins had thrown only two interceptions all season long. And in the controlled climate of U.S. Bank Stadium indoors, the Packers legitimately had opportunities for four interceptions in that game, right? including one right at the very end that could have turned the tide and, and, uh, and given the Packers a, a walk-off victory instead of a walk-off defeat. If the, if the weather has the impact on the passing game that I think it could have for the Vikings, I think the Packers are going to get some opportunities against Kirk Cousins, and you've got to take advantage yeah. of him. You have to catch the ball. You have to make him pay for his bad passes because Kirk Cousins was going to be the GOAT 
at U.S. Bank Stadium back in November with the number of balls he put in range for the Packers to intercept, yep. and he ended up he ended up being the hero. He ended and, up being uh, the goal. And, and I and I think and I think that's uh, I think that's something that uh, the Packers have to turn the tables in that regard in this game. Absolutely, and and the other aspect of this that I'm really I'm just curious to see how it plays out. I don't know if it's a key to victory. I don't know what we're going to see is. Like, how much cover two is there going to be out there? Because, yes, a lot of teams want to do that. A lot of teams want to give more coverage to Devontae Adams, and maybe they still will. But you, you would think the strong safety will be creeping into the box a little bit more in this game. And furthermore, this is the perfect West Coast offense type of game, too. And you obviously have Kubiak there now in, in Minnesota, the Sun, and then certainly what Matt LaFleur does. This seems to be a game, too, where you could get back to some of those principles. Uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling could be back as he works his way back off the COVID list. Right. He could still end up being a home run threat. I, it's weird when you get two teams that are going to have an entire, entire week to prepare for single-digit temperatures to try to figure out what is going to be the best game plan for their offense yeah. in this elements. And then to close on this really quickly, how neat is it too, Mike? And you've covered so many you know, sunsets and you've seen so many seasons now for the Packers. How cool is it when you get to the point where now we are talking about, well, this game, this defense could look different with Rashawn Gary on the field after he wasn't there last month. A guy that had seven sacks his first two seasons was playing 33% of the defensive snaps. Now he becomes a core player for Green Bay. It hurt this defense not having him on the field last month in that matchup against the Vikings where no they did have it. trouble getting after Kirk Cousins. Yep. Well, he's back now. Preston Smith has six sacks in six games. Again, it's Packers-Vikings. The, the, the rivalry sells itself. The narratives are right there to be had. The storylines are all over the place. But what these two teams are going to bring out in the field on Sunday night makes it a really compelling matchup to me. Yeah. Well, rivalry portions of things aside, looking at the, the playoff picture, there's a, there, are, there are scenarios that are important to both teams here, starting with Green Bay, as we touched on on our last episode. If the Dallas Cowboys lose late Sunday afternoon to the Arizona Cardinals, the Packers will take the field Sunday night with a chance to lock up the number one seed and clinch it with one week left to go. If the Cowboys win, the Packers need to win to maintain their advantage because if the Cowboys win and the Packers lose and those two teams are tied for the best record, the Cowboys are the ones um, with the tiebreaker. From Minnesota's point of view, the Vikings are 7-8. and eight. They're within a group of five or six teams that are fighting for the last two wildcard spots, the six and seven spots in the NFC. The, the scoreboard watching that the Vikings fans will be doing, Houston is at San Francisco, Philadelphia is at Washington. If the 49ers and the Eagles both win, the Vikings are essentially playing for their season on Sunday night. They would have to beat the Packers if the Niners and the Eagles both win. The Vikings would have to beat the Packers in order to stay alive in that wildcard yep. chase heading into Week 18. So if San Francisco and Philadelphia win, regardless of what happens with Dallas, the Packers could be in a position to end their NFC North yep. rivals season and knock them out for good in 2021. So some interesting scenarios to ponder with the game being at night and everything else that happens during the day, uh, you know, will lead to, okay, what exactly is on the line yeah. at 720 when the ball kicks off? Yeah. And as we talked about earlier this week on the, on our first show, 
the, the fact that you have Dallas and Arizona, two teams who are heading in very different directions right now. Dallas is feeling like, you know, it's the king of the world. Oh, yeah. Uh, with, with how this, that matchup played out against Washington. Washington, which at a time looked like they could potentially be a, kind of an underdog playoff hopeful to, you know, they're, they're basically out of it. And then the other side of things, you have Arizona that needs to be able to get some momentum back here if it's really going to be able to put together a playoff bid. Green Bay sitting in the driver's seat here at 12-3, and they're in a good spot because they don't have to worry about all that. If you do take care of business in the North, you do get the first round by. You are the number one seed in a much different looking playoff scenario than it was a year ago when fans were just getting reintroduced, especially in Green Bay, back into stadiums. I think that can be a huge catalyst for them, a huge push for them. For Minnesota, the, the, the thing that I have to imagine Mike Zimmer's message is going to be this week is you guys have actually played in these games. Nobody wants to see the Minnesota Vikings in January because they know in any given week they can beat anybody in that NFC field. So, yeah, the, the, the stakes are really high. You almost wish in a way, you know, this is going to be the fifth year out of six that they're going to be playing Detroit in the finale. Um, you almost wonder why the NFL has just not – why they have really haven't tried to incorporate the Vikings more into those last week scenarios because this, this could have been really interesting theater if they had to switch things around. But be that as it may, the Packers just have to take care of business and the, the, the conference is theirs. Yeah. One last thought before we go. I know we don't talk much about uh, the AFC on, on this show and some of those matchups. but it's on I our other to, show. I have, to, I have to just get your thoughts on what I think is a really intriguing AFC matchup here on Sunday. I think believe it's in the early time slot. Kansas City at Cincinnati. Yeah. Joe Burrow, 525 passing yards last week. The Bengals will have that offense at home going against the Kansas City Chiefs team. That has won, what is it, seven or eight in a row? Yeah. I, I think uh, whatever their winning streak is, uh, um, where the Chiefs have gone from actually being below 500 at three and four when the Packers visited Arrowhead Stadium to now the Chiefs are the ones in the driver's seat for the number one seat in the bye in the AFC. This is a really interesting uh, and, and a potential playoff preview type of game. And getting back to what we were talking about before with teams that nobody wants to face right now, Kansas City's as hot as it comes. Oh, yeah. The thing is, I don't think anyone was under any disillusions. I mean, you understand how good Patrick Mahomes is and how much he's going to affect the game. But they were going through a rough spot, and they figured it out. Yep. It happens. To win eight in a row now to put themselves in this spot is great. And I'll tell you what, man, between Burrow, between what Tua has done in Miami to, to bring back the Dolphins and actually give them some playoff hopes now – uh, that, that rookie class from a year ago, you're seeing the maturation with it. You know, Justin Herbert, they had a bad loss last week, but, I mean, certainly appears to be the answer there for the Chargers long-term. Baltimore, who was right up there with everyone, well, now they've fallen off, and now they're on, you know, the outside looking in. The, the real interesting test for, for Cincinnati is how much have they grown from the team that I think everybody thought was going to be a real darling this year to a team that can you go and knock off the two-time defending you know, AFC champion. Yeah, That's the ultimate test. And with all due respect to Burrow, I mean, this is going to be a much different type of defense than what he saw a week ago. 
is feeling a lot better about itself right now than where the Ravens are at. So, uh, yeah, it's I, I, we won't be able to watch it, but it'll be fun to actually <laughs> to see exactly how that thing plays out. Yeah, all right. Well, with that, we will call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team and everything with Sunday night's game. We'll have it all for you on Packers.com. For Wes, I'm Mike. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Happy New Year. We'll see you next time.